Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. Well, Merry Christmas weekend. How are we doing? Is everybody doing all right? We are in our last week of a Christmas series called Adventure. And today, Seasons, we've been looking forward to this weekend. I wonder how many of you have family that are with you that aren't always with you. If you do, just wave around a little bit. I see some of you, yes. That is true for me as well. I've got all my kids right down here. Angelica, glad you're with us as well. Uh, and it's been, it has thrown things off because they're all leaving tomorrow. So it has felt like this is Christmas week that we've just been through rather than next week. And in fact, I, um, I, I was given a gift or two. By the way, it's been pointed out to me that I say certain things with some regularity. I dispute this <laughs> a little bit, but I, I was given a gift And it just, it feels appropriate that I would wear it. <clears throat> so I'm going to go ahead and just put this on right now. And then I can, if I get to that point, I'm actually recognizing that I'm saying, by the way, I can just point to the shirt and we'll just be on with it. If I don't recognize that that's what's happening and somebody out here goes, you know, then I'll, it'll dawn on me. But this is, I didn't really think through dressing in front of you, but... Slither in, do a situation, have a tag. All right. So, by the way, <laughs> something I find interesting as we consider seasons is how seasons change. And when you think of them, we're in winter, into spring and summer and on into fall. Some places don't have all those seasons. They skip some of the seasons, whether it's because winter is extra long or summer is extra long. It's usually one of those two things that happens and shoulders out the other seasons somehow. But do you remember the most common introductory way to identify yourself when you were in high school? If you're in high school, you would be talking with others as you first meet them, and you'd be explaining yourself by what season it is in, right? You'd be saying, well, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a senior, right? I'm a, you're, these are juniors. Those are huh, freshmen. <laughs> you get to college, and you may do that same kind of thing, but you lose it pretty quickly because nobody cares, whether you're a freshman, a sophomore. It's a different season, and now what is it? Now it's your major. Now it's your major area of study. The building you end up in most. I'm in nursing. I'm in accounting. I'm Theo. <laughs> you graduate, you start working, and things shift entirely. And the seasons are not defined even so much by age or sometimes even levels of experience, but um, kind of life situations you find yourself in. How many of you have experienced this at this point, that people you were very close friends with, you got married and they didn't, and somehow it just kind of, sometimes, I'm seeing a shaking of head no. Many of our friendships may remain, but you have a child, you end up having parents that live with you, or whatever the scenario is, and it's not so much whether you're a freshman or a senior, it's not so much whether you're in the school of business 
or nursing, it, it changes and our seasons find their way through our lives and we find commonalities as we go. And today we're going to take a look in our last, our last installment of the adventure series. We're going to take a look at seasons. We're going to take a look at a couple of people in particular. But as we start, Galatians chapter four, when the right time came, that sounds like seasonal conversation, right? When the season was right, when the right time came. Now we've been taking a look at the Christmas story kind of repeatedly for four weeks. And that was a little, I was worried a little bit as we kind of got going, uh, because you just keep looking at it from so many angles, but it's really kind of underscored that this is a season of that, that really perspective makes all the difference. And knowing what season you're in does, by the way, matter. I don't know if you've been around somebody who has gotten older, that's what happens, and they don't realize it, and they are trying to pretend they're in a much earlier season, or maybe somebody who is, is very young and they're hoping to hang out with their older brother and all of their friends and they don't realize the gap and the seasonal difference. It's pretty important to know what time it is in your life, what the season is. Is it this or is it that? And perspective can make all the difference in the world. We've talked about perspective a little bit. Perspective can really make a difference. In fact, if I ask you what you see, some might be first prone to see. Well, Tucker, what do you see? Two faces. How many of you saw a vase first? Yeah, and when you see both of them, now you can kind of interchange back and forth. A little bit more difficult. Do you see, you see the woman, right? Uh, young or old? Young. I heard old. Yeah, as you take a look, it's a matter of perspective where you might see uh, the dark hair and then an ear on the young woman would be an eye on the old woman. A chin on the young woman would be a, a nose on the older woman. The neckline with a necklace would actually be a mouth and the chin of the old woman. And so it depends on what you see. And some of you may right now be saying, yeah, I don't see, I don't see an old woman. That's just a young woman. I don't know what you're talking about. Or vice versa. Sometimes perspective causes us to lock in so much that we cannot take a different view. We cannot see from another angle. We don't understand what somebody else experiences. And then we've talked about this. As we go through the Christmas season, for some of us, it's the best time. It's the hap happiest time of the year. And for others, it's not. It's filled with disappointments, loneliness, tragedy, difficulty, exclamation marks about how your life isn't what everybody else's is. It could be all sorts of old or young woman comparisons. And then every once in a while, <clears throat> every once in a while you see something that just looks impossible. It seems like it can't actually be done, but that's because we're looking at it from uh, the wrong angle, right? And the angle from which we view things can make all the difference in the world. So in a place and time where fewer and fewer people believe Jesus was and is God, that he came to this earth and that he's coming back, I invite you to twist the picture, align the scriptures, think about this. 
from a challenging perspective. Galatians, again, it starts out, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. And so what I'd like to do in this moment is just take a little bit of a tour through the lives of Mary and Joseph. They become kind of Christmas cartoon characters, right? Not, not so easy to think of as actual people as they become betrothed and they're going to get married. And by the way, some details around that, typically a young man that would be, well, so let me back up and just say this, that in that part of the world at this time, marriage usually was arranged by parents. It wasn't seen negatively though. There was often a lot of conversation with the young people involved and rarely, historians suggest, did two people end up getting married against their will. But the, the impetus, the starting point was two families talking together about how this would go. And deciding, and often for the young lady, it was as they made their way into the earliest moments of adulthood, which at that time might be around 13 to 14. A young man, a little bit older, he would be probably around 18. So there'd be this age gap often. Two families, they would take the year of betrothal. That meant, by the way, there would be a ceremony for the betrothal. This is what we're moving forward to. They're now committed to each other so that when this conversation goes that Joseph is talking about, ah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I will, ah, maybe we'll break this. That's, that's full on court proceeding divorce. And one or the other party will be at fault. And depending on who is at fault here, all the arrangements that have gone on during the year in between that include the family of the, of the groom actually pledging gifts to the other family, those gifts to be kept in the case that the husband, Joseph, would die, Mary would be cared for. And then also Joseph along the way, he would be giving dowry gifts to stay in place for Mary in case something would happen. So she would be taken care of. But if there was a divorce in between, all that dowry stuff, all those goods kept in waiting for Mary, this would be the question. Would they stay with Mary or would they return to Joseph? That depended on whose fault this was that it broke. So there we are. There's a year they're in the middle of. They've committed to one another. Any objections would have been brought up beforehand by Joseph or Mary. They are in on it too. But the family is negotiating and dowries have been given. And then Luke shows up, historian that he is, to tell us a little bit more about what happens. We've read some of it. In the 28th verse of the first chapter, Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Favored woman. The Lord is with you. He's about to tell her, you're, you're going to be pregnant. And she's going to say, after Luke records, that she was very disturbed, <laughs> concerned, alarmed, and frightened. She's going to say, this can't possibly, this can't possibly be. And 
I would have to think that in that moment, because this is not the right timing, this is not, and, and this is a culture where propriety and properness and all sorts of little elements were in place. And this is, how can this possibly be what's happening? First of all, you're wrong. How will this be, Mary asks. Since I'm a virgin, I've not been with a man, how can this possibly be? Interesting. And by the way, one of the things we're going to notice about Mary is that she is a spiritual person. She knows the stories of the Old Testament. She has studied about the coming Messiah. So maybe it lands with her that it was prophesied in Isaiah that the Messiah, the promised one, the rescuer, the one who would be, would be to come, it would be a sign from God. What the sign you would see from God would be that in fact it would come born from a virgin. By the way, there are some people that say, you know, <clears throat> this is just popular storytelling, this idea of a virgin birth. There are other stories in history where the claims were that there was a virgin birth. So some would say, you know, that's, that's what's going on here. It's fascinating to me how many times Christians like us decide we want to be able to come up with a human explanation for what God is up to. And in that moment, I fear we are turning God into a small lowercase g God that isn't capable of much. And I would wonder what you believe God is up to and how, posi- how, how powerful he is in your life too. You see, some would argue this uh, virgin language that's in Isaiah, it actually comes from a Hebrew word that can be translated either virgin or a pure young woman, which you could be pure and pregnant and not have it be a virgin birth. So this little argument comes along. By the time the Septuagint, if you know anything about history, the Septuagint was the Old Testament Hebrew written into Greek, but well before Jesus comes along the scene. And as the scholars are deciding how to translate this verse, they use a Greek word that's the same Greek word we just read that Mary asks, how could this be? Because I am a virgin. They use that same word here in the Greek, meaning they believed, not just a pure, innocent young woman, but this powerful, crazy situation. Which think about this, language of Isaiah. The Lord himself will give you a sign. You know, a pure woman who's married and has a child through a normal pregnancy, that's not all that, I mean, it's amazing and it's miraculous, but not on the scale of what we're talking about, right? This happens most every day. But not a virgin birth. This is the crazy, crazy kind of situation. But the angel says, look, okay, so yes, you are going, you are going to be pregnant. I just am here to tell you, you are the one who will carry the powerful God of the universe in your, in your belly. You are going to give birth to the Messiah, the one who is to come. For nothing is impossible with God. You know, you ever said a word enough times that it stops making sense to you? Like, it's like, wait, can that possibly, is that really the word? You can kind of read this story and think about the virgin birth long enough ago. Yeah, just that's, that's crazy. That's just 
I mean, that's just ridiculous. I don't even get how this could possibly go, but that's part of the point. And the question that I would ask you is, what kind of God are you looking for? Are you looking for a powerful God? Think about what it would take for God to raise people from the dead. Are you looking for the explainable, the easily possible, the human side of things? Or is it possible that your life is just as torn up and messed up as some of the rest of us and you know either we have a powerful, inexplicable God or it's not worth much? And so God tells them from the front end, I'm gonna send you a sign that this Messiah will be different, that this Messiah has power, that this Messiah can save and can rescue you. Virgin birth, a resurrection, and a rescue in this season for you and for me. You know, Mary will respond to this angel's visit with the, well, because of the Latin, we will call it the Magnificat. It's the prayer of, of Mary. And if you read this prayer of Mary and you know what you're looking at, you'll notice she quotes the Old Testament about 15 times in her prayer. She's had a conversation with God. It's not this massively inexplicable leap that she would take, that she would actually come to believe. And in fact, she quotes some from Hannah's prayer. If you remember the story of Hannah in the Old Testament, Samuel's mother who could not get pregnant and this miraculous thing happens and she will quote from places like this. And the angel says, by the way, your cousin, Elizabeth, who is older now, wants to have children, can't get pregnant, she's pregnant. And you almost hear the implication, you know what? You should go talk to someone who's going through something. It's just a few steps in front of you who also is going through something that is remarkable. That's somebody you should go see. And so Elizabeth receives Mary. Mary comes and visits Elizabeth in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. They have this conversation. There are miraculous things going on and there's doubt that's involved. Do you suppose Mary ever doubted? I would guess you would have had to have. How many of you have experienced incredible clarity of faith and two days later, just clouds of doubt, then to clarity and back to doubt. And if that kind of a roller coaster in any way typifies what you've gone through, I don't think you should feel alone. This virgin birth, crazy and outlandish, and then there's Joseph. Joseph, we don't talk about all that much. Joseph is kind of the travel guide. He's the one who gets Mary on a donkey to Bethlehem. Joseph lives in Nazareth. This is where he and Mary have been betrothed. But you know that there is because of taxation and a call that he has to go back to his hometown in Bethlehem that he ends up there. You know that at a certain point, an angel comes and says, hey man, it's not safe here in Bethlehem anymore. You should get out of Dodge. You should go to Egypt. And so he's moving them on to Egypt. And then there's another dream that Joseph has that says, hey, you know, it's okay now. You can come back. And so he comes back and at that point comes back to Nazareth, his hometown. Or maybe you've not thought about what this was like. And, and it helps if you understand the culture a tiny bit. Here's what's going on for Joseph. The Bible will tell it in Matthew that 
Mary comes back from Elizabeth's place, three months pregnant. I don't know when she's starting to show. I don't know if he's heard the rumblings from what happened there. I don't know if it is that she's the one who has to tell him I'm pregnant. Have you had one of those moments where you have kind of bad news, good news, and you're trying to figure out the order of which to share it to somebody close to you? Okay, so first of all, everybody's okay. But we had an accident with the car, right? Have you tried to figure out exactly how to order some message like that? I don't know whether it's Mary sharing it or if it's Joseph figuring it out, but it's clear to him. And by the way, during this betrothal time period, they didn't have much contact, even though they were considered married. It was a period of time for the families to get to know each other and for them to be set aside from the rest of the possibilities for marriage. So there might not have been a ton of interaction. And Joseph is trying to figure out what to do. Now here's some things about Joseph. Joseph Joseph doesn't want to just throw her out. He's considering what the Bible will describe as divorcing her quietly. Well, that's going to take a court proceeding, by the way. But part of what's being said there, historians believe, is that Joseph is considering taking the blame. Meaning all of the dowry, all the goods, all of the stuff that was set aside for Mary, that would stay with Mary. He wouldn't get any of that back. Think about what would happen. Most of that culture would decide that he actually is the father and bailed on Mary. But he'd rather do that and take the blame than kick her to the curb in the kind of way that would cause her to be outcast as if she was the one who had done a shameful thing. And it's in the midst of this that an angel comes to him in a dream. How many of you have had a project, a something, a difficulty, a problem, and you've been, and through, you wake up in the morning <laughs> And you think, so John, John and I like to race, sim race, racing, and um, we were doing a little sim racing, and, and uh, there was a time that John was trying to beat. The next day, he said to me, so, I was thinking about a setup option. I, it was in the middle of the night, and it was coming to me, of a way we could set up this vehicle. I have that sometimes when there's a problem, I'll wake up, and it's like you're not exactly working on it, but your mind is churning, and you think of something that maybe could work. Well, this is expressly and specifically an angel showing up for Joseph and saying to him, look, here's here's the deal, Joseph. Yes, your wife is pregnant. Correct, not from you. But this is God's doing. Yeah, I know. Follow me here, Joseph. This is going to be hard for you to believe, but this is God's doing and you should not divorce her. You should marry her. You should stay with this. And of course, for Joseph, who also is a a young man who has studied the scriptures and has learned the prophecies, he's at a crossroads to decide what he believes. Isn't that true? For so many of us, look, just because you come into this room does not make you a believer. So many of us are churning through difficulties and problems and challenges and inconsistencies and that which would require the miraculous for us to believe. 
for all of us as we enter into this moment. I believe this season, maybe as much as any, is an invitation to lean in, to draw near, and to consider the miraculous. I want to suggest that the problems you and I have won't go away just from knuckling down and trying harder. That the world in which you live and the world in which I live, it requires, you deserve the miraculous. A virgin birth God, a resurrection story God who claims to exist. So he decides, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with this. Now consider for Joseph what it means to stick with this. As he travels back to his hometown where all his family are, which by the way, we don't have time to get into, but there's no place for him in the town of his own family. The shame, the difficulty, how many comments, usually not made to your face, but somewhere around behind in ways with looks that you can calculate and you can understand what people think of you and how quick we are to decide about other people, often on the basis of missing information. Beyond that, maybe... Maybe we as human beings are just ill-suited to decide about each other. The deepest of judgments. Well, Matthew says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and he took Mary as his wife. This is interesting language because it suggests that he may have even accelerated the process of marriage. Maybe as a merciful way of trying to at least move things along and reduce the question. Maybe even to give her confidence that he was not going to leave. And then it says this, it's kind of odd. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. And there are a couple things about this I'd like to consider. The first is, even for his own sake, he was going to lay claim to the belief that this is a virgin birth and there will be no argument about it. There will be no argument about whether this could possibly be Joseph's. But think about this. In that culture, naming a child was an express a right of a father. That's interesting. I, um, when people ask me what my name is, I'm always kind of stuck a little bit for just a second because my name as given is David, but I would always kind of introduce myself as Dave. I always write David, but if you said, well, hi, I'm Johnny, I would say, well, hi, I'm Pastor Dave. That's Do you know why? It's because my dad started calling me Dave. And I don't know, that just felt like something important. And in fact, was how I saw myself over not too long a time. In the Hebrew culture, 
It was the father who named the son. It was a part of a connection. Do you remember Zechariah with John the Baptist, who was not called John the Baptist at this point? When Elizabeth is saying, no, no, he's going to be named John. And, John, and, and Zachariah can't speak yet, they're still coming to him going, oh, but what do you say? Why? Because that was the custom, is that the father, when the father says it, then that's it. Think about what's being said here. Joseph is saying, no, no, no. I'm this boy's father. It is clear that it doesn't come from my genetics that this Jesus is my boy. In fact, in Hebrew culture, when once a child was adopted, it was not spoken of again as if maybe that wasn't your child. And when you name your boy, you're all in. Think about what this is saying because Joseph is struggling potentially at the beginning. What should I do about this pregnancy? What should I do about this situation? And an angel comes to him and says, you should stick with it. And by the way, you should name him Jesus, which means savior of the world. I don't think there's room for Joseph to have been partway in on this whole idea. He came to a crossroads and had to decide, am I gonna believe or am I not gonna believe? And somebody might march up to him day two, day 20, day 365, somewhere along the way and say, come on, Joseph. Think about it. Joseph was a construction worker. What would those conversations have been like? Walking up and hearing somebody say something about your wife and your little boy that implies something troubling. Come on, man. It's not yours. That's my boy. That's my son. And if you want to go, we'll go. But Jesus is my son. What a weird reality for Mary and for Joseph. Perspective, right? Is he, is he hanging from a little thing, hanging onto a bike? Or is it uh, it's the angle at which you take a look at Mary and Joseph changes everything. But here they are, here he is saying, no, 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 this is my son, savior of the world. You see, part of what's kind of interesting to me, this whole notion of adoption is how often and how regularly the idea of adoption will come up in the identity of who God is. I remember hearing a parent say to an adopted child, no, no, no. We chose you. And this is a part of the fabric of who God is. The Jews like to say, we are children of Abraham. And Jesus would say, matters not. Unless you've been adopted and accepted the adoption. And then you are a prince. You are a princess. Fascinating, isn't it? Jesus in so many ways has walked the same steps that we have walked. And for somebody in here, you may have always wondered about having been left behind by a parent only to be adopted by another. And Jesus would say, oh, I, I know the relationship thing that happens between a father and a son through adoption. 
interesting, Matthew will include Joseph's line as a part of the explanation for who Jesus is. Why? Because adoption erases the gap. And if you've come here, if you've journeyed in your walk, not so sure about Jesus, maybe denying him, possibly doing all sorts of stuff you know isn't a part of what his desire is for your life, just know this, Jesus here and now is willing to say, this all gets erased. All you have to say is, I'm in with you, Jesus, and we change everything. For Paul would write that even before God made the world, he loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this carpenter was invited to do the very same thing. Think about it. Jesus will be known as a carpenter too. He is an apprentice. An apprentice under Joseph. He, Joseph kind of disappears from the story, but not in, if you do the math on this, if he's, a, he's daily working side by side. And this idea of a, of a carpenter, by the way, might have been working with wood, but it was a craftsman, this Greek word, tecton, a craftsman, or sometimes a stonemason. I think it's kind of interesting to consider Jesus, because that's how homes were built, actually, with stone, not wood. And so Joseph is a builder. And by the way, you might not have heard of it, but just about three miles, a little walk from Nazareth was a town called Sepphoris. Sepphoris was destroyed right about the time Jesus was born. By the time Joseph gets back to Nazareth from Egypt, the most common workplace for a carpenter, stonemason, craftsman, home builder from Nazareth would have been Sepphoris because it was all being rebuilt and of course, Joseph would have gone there to, the reason it was destroyed was because some of the Jews had created an insurrection and they were stamped out. And so every day Joseph goes to work, somewhere along the way, his teenage boy comes to work with him there in Sephoris and they're building homes and building homes and replacing homes. And all the while in Joseph's mind, what he knows is there was, a, there was an attempt to rescue from the control of the Romans that did not work. We need a savior, Jesus, as he walks with Joseph to work and back and learns from, you know, we're not so sure. We're not so sure where Joseph leaves the story. But think about being Mary and Joseph in this adventure. Remember, <clears throat> Carolyn, when we came home from the hospital with Emily, our firstborn, and I have this vivid memory of because we had one of these carrier uh, seats that then sits in, a, it locks in. It's all gotten a bit different by now. Not calling you old, I'm calling me old, but yeah. But I remember walking out to the car and that snapping into the seat and thinking to myself, what is happening? These people can't be all that great at what they do. That they're letting us go with this child. We have no experience. And, and then you're trying to help your child go to sleep or eat or they're crying and you're not sure what's going on because they're not, 
experiencing a dirty diaper right now. What is happening? And it feels like there's such consequences to every little moment that if you do this wrong, it's going to, can you imagine being Mary and Joseph? Because see, here's the deal. They believed he was the Messiah. When you think about it, if I were to ask you the question, who are the very first Christians? You would have to say, Mary and Joseph. That Joseph, as he names him the Savior, he's decided, I'm all in on this. I can't, I'm hoping for what I cannot explain. I'm going to believe in what I'm not so sure about. This is, I'm going to go this, yeah. And we don't know where Joseph departs the scene. We do know that in Matthew 13, in the middle of Jesus' kind of career of ministry, People will look at Jesus and say, well, I don't know about this guy. I mean, isn't he the carpenter's son? So it almost makes it sound like Joseph might still be alive. We're not sure. He's not there at the cross, but Mary is. You know, there is nothing like the pride of a parent when your children are amazing. And there's nothing like the pain of a parent when your children suffer. And you think about what it was to be Mary and Joseph to believe and yet still be human. I wonder how many times they felt like failures as a parent because of something that didn't go well. Maybe a criticism from a fellow family member. These first believers did their best to carry Jesus into this world. And here's where maybe we'll leave it today. Follow me. <laughs> we have a task a little bit like that. Like the parents of Christ. It's crazy that God would risk everything by giving them this child. It's crazy that God would risk everything by giving us his character and saying, now you're in charge of it. You walk out into the world. You love like I would love. You demonstrate, you define what it is to be me, okay? It feels like there's consequences in getting this wrong. And every once in a while, you just, I mean, we just filled with pride. I was telling somebody, some, some parent told me that their child said, this is the best Christmas church. This is a great description. I love that. A Christmas church. A church for this season. A church for whatever season you're going through. There are times when we can blow it. It's only a matter of time until that's you. Until it's me like a parent who gets a little too upset or says the right thing or doesn't pay the right attention or doesn't show up or something gets messed up and you feel like a failure. Well, here we are, the Mary and Joseph of this season. Here we are in our community carrying Jesus throughout this world. So I just want to say to you, courage in this season. 
If you are a person who has given your heart to Jesus Christ and you walk and you live and you love, that is our task. And we go as believers, just like the very first Christians, Mary and Joseph. And maybe you've come in here and you feel disconnected and you feel separate and you don't feel a part of this. Know this, this season is about adoption. That you are called into a love and a relationship with Jesus Christ. For Paul will say it, but when the time came, the right time, when the right time came, when the season was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy your freedom. Those of us, slaves to be made free so that he could adopt you, so that he could adopt me as his very own children. And so I believe this is a season to believe when everything else says maybe not, to have hope. I think it's a season to share. Yeah, yeah, share our stuff, but that's low on the list compared to sharing our love and our life. It's a season for adoption, to find your way all the way in. And the right time came. And by the way, this is true when you're having a great day or when the season feels long and you're going through pain and difficulty and challenge, and it's difficult to believe, it's impossible to believe, and yet somehow cracking through the difficulty is a piercing ray of hope that Jesus is the Savior, that he is real, that he does love you. So Lord God, Bless us, no matter whether we're filled with joy or we're struggling a little bit today. May we, because we are able to sit and sing and be here with fellow believers, may we feel your presence in a way that's inexplicable, maybe even impossible, laying claim to this call that all things are possible with God. The God of virgin birth, the God of resurrection stories, and the God of salvation Jesus, our Savior, in this season come. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, go to crosswalkvillage.com Chattanooga and click the Give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop-down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.